Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Drops show. As I speak, it's Friday, July 28, 2023. Here's a headline uh, before we get a conversation, but we'll probably have nothing to do with this headline. But just so you know, uh, sociologically, what's going on in the world as I'm about to embark in this conversation with my distinguished guest. Uh, so headline in today's New York Times, special counsel adds charge to, tr- <laughs> excuse me, special counsel adds to charges Trump is facing. Uh, here's the lead. Federal prosecutors on Thursday added major accusations to an indictment charging former President Donald J. Trump with mishandling classified documents after he left office, saying that he told a maintenance worker, Mar-a-Lago, that he wanted security camera footage there to be deleted. Want? He told a guy, delete it, get rid of it. <laughs> I, I know we're not going to have the conversation with my distinguished guest. We're not going to be talking Trump. I'll probably be a David Ferris conversation, probably be Monroe Anderson. Stacey Davis Gates is coming on next week. We're probably going to have the conversation with all of them about Donald Trump. But it's like it gets worse with this guy. And I think we're just so immune to it. We're so like it's not even on the front page of the Sun Times. It's just sort of like, oh, Donald Trump uh, ordered incriminating evidence destroyed. <laughs> Let's just, it's a hot day in Chicago. I mean, we're just so used to it. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, I cannot believe it's the former president of the United States, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I know I've had the conversation. I know uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, you know, he kind of tried to bury the evidence, uh, the Kwame McDonald video. So it, did, it wasn't like he tried to destroy it, though. OK, I'm like comparing. I always try to get perspective on the on the evils of Donald Trump by comparing him to what our mayors have done in Chicago. Is it worse than the mayoral behavior of the people that we revere here in the city of Chicago, the people that we've elected to lead us? In this case, I would say, yes, it's worse. Say what you will about Mayor Rahm and Laquan McDonald. He didn't burn the tape to use Patrick uh, Buchanan's uh, advice to Richard Nixon. Yeah, so it is, wow, just ongoing. One more time, ladies and gentlemen, uh, he told a maintenance worker at Mar-a-Lago that he wanted security camera footage there to be deleted. Just so you understand, ladies and gentlemen, this is a guy who's like gone out of his way to find trouble for himself. 
he he took the stuff, he took the classified documents out of the White House. The uh, the federal government begged him to return the classified documents. He refused while they were begging him to return it. Then they like threatened him, like, we're going to come get you if you don't return it because these are classified documents. So it's like, he's what? Tells his, his um, he tells uh, his employees, burn it, get rid of it, delete it. Like, why not just return it? This guy is so psycho. Just return it. Anyway, that's the man you elected president of the United States. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself because we got a lot to talk about today. Distinguished guest? I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an occasional columnist and a member of the Sun-Times editorial board. Yes. A dear friend of the show uh, and um, been a guest on the show since 2019, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, all right, Ramana, you were, I asked you what was on your mind today. And the first thing came out of your, uh, out of your mouth that you said was Sinead O'Connor. Uh, and I have subsequently spent about an hour of my life, at least doing a deep dive into Sinead O'Connor who uh, died earlier this week. Uh, I will begin today's show with a confession. Uh, as an old baby boomer, I was not aware of Sinead O'Connor's music. I mean, I knew who she was. I knew about uh, the um, her ripping up the picture of the Pope. Uh, we're all gonna get. We're gonna do the deep dive in that, ladies and gentlemen, on Saturday Night Live back in 1992. I remember seeing her on uh, Arsenio Hall, and I sent a copy of the tape. And I got to tell you, Ramana, it's remarkably similar to my memory of uh, what went down with Arsenio Hall. So I knew who she was as a cultural figure, but I was not, uh, I wasn't following popular music, to put it mildly, in the 80s and the 90s and the O's. And up to today, uh, my, I pretty much have stopped listening to new music. In, I stopped listening in 1979. Uh, so shame on me, I admit it. Uh, but what, what a fascinating, fascinating what, uh, revelation, I believe, the life and times of Sinead O'Connor has uh, the revelation about our culture, our attitudes, what we consider blasphemous, what we consider um, degradation, what we consider for protected First Amendment, what we consider outrageous, inexcusable behavior that cannot be tolerated. Uh, who are the few people who have the courage to stand up to those who have been deemed as blasphemous, who were like exiled <laughs> from the garden, if you will, using a confused metaphor? Uh, it's all there in the story of Sinead O'Connor. Uh, I guess the story that sort of begins in 1992, uh, with her appearance on Saturday Night Live. So why don't you just start at the outset? Uh, why don't you tell folks about what went down, uh, in 1992 with Sinead O'Connor, uh, and just your general thoughts about it. Go ahead. Well, first of all, I want to say that, um, anybody who's my age, Gen Xer, remember Sinead O'Connor. And I think most people, most of us, even if you're not a huge fan, remember when she came onto the scene because she was completely different than anything we saw before. Um, I think her first album came out in 87 or 88. And at the time I was a teenager and I just remember seeing this striking image of this woman who had a shaved head. And at the time I was just like me and my, me and my older sister are like, wow, she looks great bald. And, you know, and, and, and she got great reviews on her album. I think it was called the line in the Cobra. And 
you know, I remember thinking she had a great voice. Now, have I followed her career um, really that extensively? No, but I do like a lot of her songs and I thought she was a great artist. And obviously she had a lot of struggles with, with her mental health. But I think a lot of people would agree that she was a very talented artist. So I think a lot of people who are my age were pretty much shocked and stunned and saddened to hear that she died on Wednesday. I have to tell you, I know you're asking me right before we started the show if I liked uh, Bruce Springsteen or Sinead O'Connor better. And I think they're both equally talented artists. I was actually um, texting a former um, sometimes colleague of mine, Maureen O'Donnell, who had extra tick or who had had two tickets of, for Springsteen's show in two weeks and she wanted to unload two of them. So we were texting and she wanted to give them to me. And then that's when she's the one who told me she's uh, Maureen O'Donnell is also an Irish American Catholic. And she's like, Oh my God, Sinead O'Connor died while we were texting about Springsteen. And I'm like, what? And then I Googled it and I saw that it was breaking news. It just happened like 10 minutes ago. It hit the news. And so this was something that I think touched a lot of people from my generation. And I think I was watching the SNL um, skit, or not skit or the performance of Sinead O'Connor when she was on there in 1992. I might've been at a family friend's house. Whenever we would be at a family friend's house, we'd just turn on SNL. It was really popular at the time. And so I think we had it on in the background. And I remember she was supposed to sing another song, but she ended up singing a Bob Marley song called War. And she held a picture up of the Pope. And uh, she said something like fight the real enemy. And then she ripped the picture of the Pope she did this in protest to, um, I guess, the silence of the Catholic Church and, you know, the children who had been molested by some of the leaders of the church. And, you know, I was just reading a few minutes ago that the head of NBC at the time or was it Michael Lauren who used to run uh, SNL at the time? I, I think I was reading something right now. I don't know. It said that he actually told him to turn off the applause button. And so... It was like dead silence after she ripped the picture of the Pope and people were really upset about it. And I guess an argument could be made that, you know, people felt like she was um, she was uh, criticizing Catholicism. But, you know, obviously she was criticizing, you know, the Catholic Church, Church's silence. And I just remember the backlash was just out of control, like after it happened. And I forgot about this, but. A week later, uh, Joe Pesci was doing a monologue on the show, or at least said something, and he made a comment about how if that happened while he was on SNL, he would have smacked her, and he got applause. Then he said, I would have grabbed her by, and then he, like, stopped and said, by the eyebrows, since she, like, you know, had a lack of hair on her head, and people clapped at that, and then he had a picture of the Pope that was put together, and he basically said, um, this is the way it should be. And then everybody started applauding him. And uh, I think even Madonna, who was raised a Catholic and has, has done a lot of controversial things that offended a lot of people. Um, her like a prayer video had crosses, you know, burning and black people at the time told her they were offended by it, but she didn't back down. But she said by Sinead O'Connor ripping up the picture, she went too far. Now this is Madonna saying this. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of commentary on her, too. And Madonna had made comments about Sinead O'Connor as well. And, and 
Mick, my husband, was pointing out the other day that Sinead O'Connor actually shaved her head in protest to what record uh, company executives were telling her to do for her look. And so that was kind of a protest of that. And Madonna made comments about how it looked like she had a run-in with a lawnmower. And Madonna made all these derogatory comments about her and her appearance, which is interesting because now that Madonna had you know all this plastic surgery done, she's been talking about how people are misogynistic and um, you know, ageist. And I'm like, first of all, you benefited <laughs> to what people thought was attractive at the time. And now that you're, you know, you're not considered cool anymore and you're doing all this stuff to your face, like you're doing this. So she, she wasn't very nice to Shane O'Connor either. And there was just like an entire backlash. And I know Ben, we talk about cancel culture on this show all the time. <laughs> and well, at least when I'm on and she pretty much, uh, Shane O'Connor was pretty much canceled. And so she appeared, I think on a Bob Dylan tribute concert a few days or if not a week or two after this SNL controversy and she was booed off booed off booed when she appeared and I, I also seen some commentary about how all these Bob Dylan supposed liberal fans suddenly became like all offended and you know she was she was um booed off stage and Chris Christopherson came and gave her a hug and and I think he kind of wrote a song for her too and you know a lot of people pointed out that that kind of you know she's Shane O'Connor has, you know, despite her troubles, uh, I think musically she, you know, people do appreciate her music, but I think that episode did, did kind of change the narrative of how her career was going to go and how she was going to be received. It did, it did, I do think it changed the trajectory of her career. And it's, you know, it's interesting that, you know, now that she's gone, a lot of people are kind of looking back and, you know, there's obviously been a lot more discussion about the Catholic Church and the abuse and how um, a lot of officials are trying to hide it. And now, now you're seeing all these articles about how she was right and people are talking about how, um, you know, people applauded all those celebrities who ripped on her, made fun of her. And it was, it was just like this backlash where there was no critical thinking. And I, I know, Ben, I talked to, this, to you about this, too. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm coming from a marginalized group. And I remember at the time, so like a few years before that, the Salman Rushdie thing happened. Now, I'm not saying that I agree with Salman Rushdie being um, death threats against him. But there were, there were a lot of Muslims who didn't want Salman Rushdie to die. But... They do, they do feel like oh, that passage was offensive. Okay, move on. But everybody was like, everybody who who was like defending Salman Rushdie was just like, oh, you know, this is freedom of speech. And like, you know, these people can't deal with freedom of speech. And in our country, we have freedom of speech. We can say whatever we want. He's brave. He's criticizing everybody. And, you know, that just started his like ascent in the white community, I think. Because I've never met a white person who doesn't like Salman Rushdie. They call him Salman, though, and I'm always like, it's Salman. So at least we're going to pronounce your name if we're going to put him on a pedestal. And, and you know, I that's fine. I don't, I, you know, like I said, I don't want death threats. But it was just, it was interesting because I remember, like, feeling, like, why is it okay? Why is it okay for, why is it okay for people to bash Sinead O'Connor for saying something about a religion where a lot of people, a lot more people, Americans identify with? And everybody was offended and saying that was wrong and why it was wrong and it was offensive. And I'm like, well, when it's offensive to a certain segment of the population, that's when you can have a certain reaction. And I've been and just being from that community, I've seen this hypocrisy 
for a long time. And so I remember feeling that when I was 20, 21. And I mentioned that to some of my friends and they were like, oh, they kind of brushed me aside. One person I know, a friend of mine told me that I was acting like a typical minority by (laughs) pointing out the hypocrisy. And I'm like, well, it is hypocritical. You know, we still see this in America. You know, there are certain members of the community, you know, look at the Republican Party. Like you can say outrageous things about people and you can pretty much get away with it. And if there are certain other members of like society saying stuff about that are offensive to other people, it's like, well, it's a freedom of speech. I can say this if I want to. So it's just interesting. Um, I think a lot of the discussions surrounding Shane O'Connor um, not only her celebrity status, but also her stances that she took. I think a lot of people, it's like now that she's gone, there's a, been a lot of think pieces about who she was and what we accept as an artist, especially a female artist, and the backlash that was kind of thrown at her, but that was just insane at the time. I just remember remember being a young person and feeling and remembering the hypocrisy. I remember that vividly. I, I, I felt it in my bones and I just thought she was being treated unfairly. And I, and I understand, like, I don't think it's right to bash like anybody's religion, but it, it was like when she was, she was someone that was a person of faith. Cause she would always say that, you know, she's, she's a Catholic and, you know, then the ironic thing is that she actually converted to Islam in 2018 and she went by a different name and professionally she w- still went as Sinead O'Connor. And I remember I have to tell you, we're all like, whoa, cool. She's, she converted. Um, but it's, you know, she was someone that was always, I remember reading interviews about her and she would talk about her faith, like faith was really important to her. And so I, I just, I just think it's a shame that she's gone. And I do think she was talented. I just think that she was treated unfairly when all that, that SNL thing happened. And it is interesting. Now everybody's looking back and, you know, looking at these videos, looking at what Madonna said, looking at what Joe Pesci said. I think Frank Sinatra said something too. And everybody's kind of like, everybody just stood by and applauded these people for bashing her. Meanwhile, they could say whatever they want. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, all right. A lot to respond to. Uh, that was a great riff. Um, I think the guy's name was Lorne Michaels. From yeah, you're right, Lorne Michaels. Lorne, <laughs> Sorry, Lorne what Michaels, I call him. Yeah, yeah. He, he'd been an SNL executive for a long time. I just read like a few minutes ago that he had turned off, asked them to turn off the applause, um, you know, that lighting thing that they have telling people to applause. Because I remember it being dead silent after she ripped the picture yeah. of the Pope. Well, that was instantaneous. If it, That's uh, like, of all the things you said, that's uh, probably... The least significant to respond to, and yet it's the first thing I'm going to respond to. Uh, when you said that, I was like, "Wow, what a thought!" Because I just re- I just watched. Uh, you, you you so kindly sent me. Uh, Ramon and I have been exchanging videos all day today about uh, Sinead O'Connor. Uh, so I watched, and I had seen before where she ripped up the um, the the picture of the Pope, and it's dead silence. And so I worked, um, when I watched it from the assumption that the silence was on the part of the audience, utter disbelief, not sure how to respond. It was a genuine moment. Uh, and so, uh, Lord Michaels, who controls the, he's the producer of Saturday Night Live, 
uh, controls the the applause button, uh, the applause light. So you're saying that he didn't turn the applause light on, which suggests that had he turned the applause light on, the audience would have cheered. And it, it, it suggests that the audience's response is totally predicated not by what they see uh, on stage, not by what the artist does, but what Lorne Michaels tells them to do. In other words, they're like trained seals. They have no brains. They're kind of sort of like Chicago voters who vote for Rom because Barack Obama tells them to. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, and I have to tell you, I have to warn that I just saw one article that said that. So after I get off, I'm just going to try to fact check to see if that's correct. But I did see that in one article that I read because you're probably reading all the you're probably reading all the think pieces that I am. So I just saw this right before I got on, but they said that Lorne Michaels had asked for the applause light to turn off. Yeah, but those shows, come on, Ben. Some things aren't even funny, and then people are kind of like laughing, and I'm like, that's not even funny. And especially SNL in most recent history, it's it's kind of gone downhill. And I don't know anybody who watches SNL in this day and age because you can watch clips later, so nobody watches the whole show in its entirety like they used to. So just think about this. So let's contrast it. I believe that he didn't have to turn the applause lights off. I, uh, I don't. First of all, they, that suggests that the applause lights were on. So it's probably more like he didn't turn them on. But just let's think about this. The following week, as you point out, Joe Pesci was the host of Saturday Night Live, uh, and his opening monologue denounced uh, Sinead O'Connor. Uh, and as you pointed out, that's the one where he showed the uh, the picture of the Pope had been taped together and he goes, this is the way it should be. And if I were, if I were the host, I'd have slapped her. The audience is cheering, which suggests that Lauren Michaels is turning the applause light on. If we've now, like, I think you and I are in agreement on this, that people who go to a Saturday night live, uh, uh, show are just, they're just following the prompts of whatever the director tells them. Uh, so it, it seems as though like, Lauren Michaels was saying, yes, cheer this guest when he says, I wish I had beat last week's guest, which is kind of a twisted thing for Lauren Michaels to be doing. You follow me on this one, yeah. Ramana? You yeah. know what I'm saying? No, of course. And, and, you know, I think Madonna was on SNL a few, I don't know if it's SNL. I don't know. I think, and then she ripped a picture. She's like, oh, let's correct this. And then she ripped a picture of Jody. Joey Buttafuoco, which I'm sure like a lot of young people don't know who he is. But I mean, it, it, there, it's yeah. just like everybody kind of jumped on this bandwagon. Like, let's all make fun of Sinead O'Connor. And, you know, we can, we can be provocative. Like, Joe Pesci can beat people up and kill people on the screen and do controversial things. Madonna can do whatever she wants and push the button. But when someone pushes the button in a way that, you know, it's popular and everybody's like backlashing. Let's all jump on the bandwagon and jump and all like speak out against this one person. That's what I, I, I remember that I felt like it was a piling on, on Sinead O'Connor. And since it was trendy to do that, all these like stars just jumped on and the bandwagon and everybody else cheered them on. All right. I have a theory, as you know, about Madonna and, uh, uh, Sinead O'Connor, which we'll get to in a little while. Uh, I, I took the opportunity to look up blasphemy because that's what I thought of. Like what Sinead O'Connor did was blasphemous. What uh, Rushdie did was blasphemous. 
Uh, and that's a, and the, the 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 dictionary definition is contemptuous or profane speech or action concerning God or a sacred entity. Blasphemy, as defined in some religion or religion-based laws, is an insult that shows contempt, disrespect, or lack of reverence concerning a deity, an object considered sacred, or something considered inviolable. And I believe both Sinead um, O'Connor and Rushdie had blasphemous acts. Uh, and this gets in the heart of um, just the role religion plays and the, 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 the pride uh, and the ownership that people have in religion in this country. And what you're saying is that there's no consistency uh, into our response to blasphemous acts, that in this country, when a blasphemous act is perpetrated against Muslims, uh, by and large, the attitude is, come on, man, it's just free speech. Guy has the right to say what he wants, but when a blasphemous act is uh, uh, waged against, in this case, a Catholic uh, symbol, it's outrage, beat her up, never invite her back. I don't think she was ever invited back to Saturday Night Live. Uh, boo her, et cetera. She was so banned. Forth. She was Is banned. That- I think she was banned from NBC, so therefore banned from Saturday Night Live. Like, I, like she was going to come back. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, come back to NBC. I mean, she had better things to do, but yeah, if she was like banned. Yeah. So, uh, is that is that your point that acts of blasphemy yes, yes, in some like, ways are tolerated and not? Go ahead. Yeah. It's it's just a, it's just what's offensive to one person might not be, or some groups might not understand what it uh, what's offensive. That's what I'm just saying. Like, there's certain things that are offensive to to Jewish groups, right? Like, I'm not going to do certain things because I know it's offensive, right? And um, there's certain things like we're talking about the crosses that Madonna had in her video, like a prayer. There were black groups at the time saying that they were offended by the black crosses. But that's what I'm saying. Like at the time I was 16, 15, 16, and I didn't under I didn't know that the black crosses were kind of considered considered offensive. And I remember looking it up and then I was like, oh, okay, that's why. And so I just feel like it depends on what you consider offensive and what you don't. There's people who consider Colin Kaepernick taking a knee offensive. Like to me, that's not offense. You know what I mean? Like and it's just, it, and so I just feel like there's certain groups, um, it's their offend, their sensibilities are more important than other people. And I'm not saying, and I, I do think, I do believe in freedom of speech. I do think people should be able, allowed, to, are allowed to say what they want to without any sort of threats or anything like that. But I do think, I do think that people do have, you know, it's because what the majority is offended by, that's what you have to abide by. And if a certain group of people, you know, particularly marginalized groups will say this is offensive, they'll be like, oh, you know, this is freedom of speech. We can say what we want to. That's how I've seen it. I'm, on, I'm just saying that there is this level of hypocrisy when it comes to certain double things. Double standards. Yeah, double standards yeah. and hypocrisy. Uh, and so I'm just saying you can be offended. Like, I, I understand why people are offended by this, the passages in Salman Rushdie's book, which, by the way, wasn't that good of a book. So it's like all the outrage caught, led to, like, the book being really popular. I had some friends who tried to read it, and they said it was the worst book they ever read. And, I'm sure, and I know he has other pieces of work, but they said it was really pretentious and um, but, you know, that one passage offended people. And if anybody who studied Islam would know why. And so there are certain things like there are certain things that, you know, I my parents are from India, but I won't know certain things are offensive to Hinduism. I read about what people are offended. We talked about the scene from Oppenheimer. A lot of um, Hindus are upset 
by that one scene that's used in the film. And, you know, I, I try to keep an open mind, but I'm just saying that there are, there are certain things when people say they're offensive, you know, some people are championed for, you know, saying things. And then other people on the meanwhile, because they're offending a certain segment of the population, it's like everybody just like cancels them. And I do think Sinead O'Connor was canceled. And that's what makes everything so laughable when people talk about cancel culture in this day and age. All these people that are people are complaining about, like that one comedian. Why am I forgetting his name? They like said he was canceled. The one who masturbated in front of those women. Louis C.K. Yeah, Louis C.K. I mean, he hasn't been canceled. He's still like out there. He's still doing shows. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, people call out cancel culture because it's like for the first time in the, their lives, they're being called out for certain things, you know, and they weren't all these years ago. Like, you know, I always hear like certain people talk about how certain things couldn't be made today, like movies couldn't be made today because they're offensive, they're like sexist and they're racist and everybody's like, oh, remember the good old days and we could laugh at people of color and laugh at women. <laughs> it's just like, okay, you know what I mean? It's like, they don't want to evolve. There are definitely some people who don't want to evolve. And, you know, there can be, there can be a debate about whether we've become more sensitive or anything like that, but there's definitely some things that we are moving forward to. And some people just wished we were back at back in that time where, where it was okay to make certain sort of jokes and things like that. Well, one of the things I sent you was the Arsenio Hall clip, uh, which remarkably, I, I remembered it after all these years. And I don't know how it was, but by chance, I saw I was watching the Arsenio Hall show in 1991. So this is before uh, the Saturday Night Live appearance. Uh, and I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch it, but so I'll just relate it to people. So uh, Arsenio Hall was a talk show host, millennials in the early 90s, a comedian. Anyway, uh, a good friend, Eddie Murphy, uh, a comedian. Eddie Murphy is a comedian, millennials. Uh, anyway, just teasing you, millennials. I know you know who Eddie Murphy is. Um, and so Sinead O'Connor was a guest on the show, and she comes out, she's got her hair shaved, so she's got that crew cut. And, um, and so Arsenio Hall is being really nice to her. Some might say, patronizing uh and he says you know uh you're i read somewhere that you think you're like ugly and you have low self-esteem i forget exactly the words and she said yes i do and he says to her he goes you must realize that you're beautiful o only a beautiful woman can shave her head and be beautiful and i think he thought he was being nice <laughs> i'm like god dang arsenio and so much has changed in the 30 years in terms of what is acceptable for women's looks, if you follow what I'm saying. Like, to shave your head in 1991 and be a celebrity that goes on the Arsenio Hall show or goes on the Tonight Show or Saturday Night Live is a big cultural icon, et cetera, so forth. That's so radical. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, before. I guess it's before women started having tattoos even, you know? And nowadays, I that look is not radical. I don't believe a talk show host in America would feel compelled to tell a woman who looked, had that appearance of Sinead O'Connor, my God, even though you've shaved head, you're still beautiful. That's how beautiful you are. Even with that shaved ball head, you're beautiful. Uh, and it kind of gets into the Chris Rock, Will Smith thing, which we'll ignore, but there's some parallels. 
so I think so much has changed. But Sinead O'Connor, this is my point, Romana, was so ahead of time. And just like her lyrics, her defiance, her honesty, her fearlessness, and her shaved head. That's, and you're ahead of your time. You're not treated kindly. Your thoughts. No, I agree. I agree. Um, I think everybody thought that of her. And I do think a lot of people, you know, even though, I mean, I, I think she was still like everybody musically respected her, but she kind of was touring less. She actually was here like a few years ago and we were kind of regretting that we didn't see her when we, when Mick checked to go see if there are any tickets on sale, it got sold out. Like it was a sold out show. And I mean, I do regret, she has, there's a lot of artists that I regret not seeing. She's one of them. Um, to, when I had the chance to see her, Prince is another one. And speaking of Prince, she had a weird relationship with Prince because he gave her that song, Nothing Compares to You. And she did a memoir like two years ago. And she talked about Prince and how we invited her to her house. And he was kind of like the whole thing you're talking about, Arsenio Hall. Like he told her that she didn't like the way she spoke. Like, you know, using swear words and things like that. Like, like it, it's, it's, it's interesting, like all these men telling her that she didn't behave that the, the way they wanted her to behave. And so, I don't know, this is some, you know, Prince isn't alive anymore. So, but I remember her saying that he like physically, like, like, you know, they had got into some sort of physical altercation. Like, it was just a weird. No, they got to do a pillow fight. Yeah, a pillow fight. But, she said, like but she said they got to do a pillow fight. Yeah, but yeah. he had some sort of hard object in there and it hit her head. So I I don't know. It was it was really weird. And I'm like, I know Prince was a musical genius, but I don't think he was all there either. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of like one of those things where it's just like. I think she did, you know, she was, she was pretty brave. She didn't listen to, you know, a lot of artists would, would even in this day and age, they would list, they will listen to whatever the record company tells them to do. They dress the way that record executives tell them to do. They don't dress the way they necessarily want to, um, you know, they look a certain way, especially female artists. I know female artists have that extra pressure and, you know, they, uh, the, in this day and age, most artists that I know, um, female artists, if they get to a certain level, you know, all of a sudden, like, all these fashion designers are, like, you know, giving them clothes or asking them to wear their clothes. And it's, it's you know, it's like a lot of people don't, like, some people like that game, and that's fine. I would totally like that because I like clothes. But there's some people who don't necessarily want to do it, but some of them feel like they feel they have the pressure to do it. And so I think that's what made Sinead O'Connor a little different, a lot different, I should say, than a lot of artists, especially female artists. She's not playing the game and trying to fit into the box that a lot of male executives are trying to put into or any other person like Madonna making, you know, commenting on the way she looked. She didn't care. Okay, so now we're getting into Madonna versus Sinead and the, and the Ben theory. Uh, and this is spoken as a guy who doesn't listen to either one of their music. I'm uh, just talking in terms of them as celebrities. Uh, in my humble opinion, and feel free to vigorously disagree with me, Romana, as I know you will, uh, Sinead O'Connor was real. That's who she was. That's what she believed. Uh, she, there was no artifice. She had been uh, abused as a kid. She was aware of abuse that goes on. Uh, 
by people who are protected, who are sort of immunized, if you will, from the consequences of being held accountable for the abuse, uh, the bullying that goes on generation after generation, the psychic toll that plays on people, uh, and uh, how they, we still must, in, in this case, she was talking about in terms of religion, uh, people that, that were loyal to remain steadfast uh, to the Catholic Church, even though uh, there are people in the Catholic Church who've abused the power they have. So that's a sentiment she was uh, projecting, and she did not run from it. She was not afraid to to say it, and she paid a consequence for it. Madonna has never taken a legitimate stand on anything that put her and exposed her to risk. Her she projects she projects a contrived image that is very carefully set up uh, to win attention, sell records, sell movies, make her fabulously wealthy. This is not a hate rant. I am just merely pointing out the difference between someone who is real and someone who is contrived. And so Madonna criticized uh, Sinead O'Connor, did not come to Sinead O'Connor's defense when Sinead O'Connor was under siege. Chris Christopherson, a lefty, just throwing that out there, came to her defense. Uh, And it's the difference between someone who has a contrived uh, persona and someone who is real. And I believe that somewhere deep inside her, Madonna was jealous, envious of Sinead O'Connor because Sinead O'Connor was real and she was not. Your thoughts? No, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I mean, well, that, I, I, I grew up at a time where, Mad- like, the height of Madonna's fame, like, I, that's when I grew up. And the whole thing was you were either a Cindy Lauper fan or a Madonna fan. And I never, I, I like some of Madonna's stuff and I thought some of the stuff that she's saying was good. And then so I liked some of her looks, but in general, I was not smitten by Madonna like other people were at all. And I like Cindy Lauper better. I thought she was more creative and um, she was more creative and I liked her music better in general. I, I did think Madonna pushed buttons for like pushing button sake at a certain point. And then it got, it, then it got really like boring after a while. I didn't even think it was that like earth shattering. And so I do think, I think I I do, I do agree with you, Ben. I do think um, there was definitely a difference. And, and I also did see a think piece about how people said that Madonna was, was probably jealous of Sinead O'Connor because her act wasn't something that was carefully orchestrated. I guess that's the word. Like, you know, Madonna made that book sex and it was supposed to be like so controversial at the time. And I remember it was kind of like a yawner because everybody was just like, okay, Madonna's taking her clothes off. Like what else is new at that point? It was really nothing that shocking. I mean, I I just remember being like, and it's like so dated now because she like, she took pictures with like people who were popular at that time. And they're all like one hit wonders and like deal with celebrities. Now I remember vanilla ice was featured in the book and it's like, okay, like, you know what I mean? It was just like she got anybody who was like famous at that time. And I'm sure if you look at that book now, it's it's kind of laughable. And the whole thing was like she was doing a lot of things that a lot of other people have done. And um, I, I, I do. I mean, I'm not saying that she's not doesn't have talent. I'm not saying like, you know, I know I have friends who are like big fans of her. I think she was coming to tour, but then she had some sort of health problem. And some of my friends were asking me if I want to go. And I'm like, I have no interest in going. But um. I, I, I do think you have a point there. And I, I have seen some things where people are talking about how um, it probably was a jealousy thing because her book was coming out at that time. Or, con- you know, she's trying to raise controversy. And then here comes Shane O'Connor and does this act of just ripping a picture and 
she got people pissed at her. Whereas Madonna at that point, it was just kind of like, uh, she had become like, I don't know. It was just kind of like a normal thing for Madonna to do. And everybody's like, Oh, okay. Madonna's doing this and kind of keep going. And I, I do think people would, you know, I'm their fans who are of Madonna's, but definitely between the two of them, um, Madonna would didn't really write most of her songs. She did some of her songs, but between the two of them, Sinead O'Connor was the better artist. If you're going to go on a, a level where you're just talking about pure art, artistry, I think. Well, okay. I, so I have to, like I said, you I should to listen to, you should listen. I, and yeah. I'm not even like, I don't even, not even an expert of her, but I don't know how you could live without <laughs> not hearing a Sinead O'Connor song. I mean, she, the first song that I heard of her. So was Mandinka. You never heard of Emperor's New Clothes or you never heard nothing compares to you. I know oh, that's the one, the Prince song. That's the, it's a, uh, uh, yes, I knew that. That was the one. Okay. Listen, man, I, I know. Uh, what can I do? I, <laughs> I don't know. You're, I guess you're stuck your in the seventies. Uh, yeah. 1979. What a glorious year it was to end it all. Uh, but, um, uh, make is always making fun of me because I, I just said, well, you know, the eighties, oh, really no good music came out of the eighties. You know, and, uh, and he's, what are you kid talking about? And he'll list all of stuff. And I go, okay, Prince was good. Uh, and uh, there was a couple of the bar songs I may have liked and uh, Lionel Richie. But, you know, other than that, uh, so I can't comment on the music of them. All right. But I want to shift gears uh, from Sinead O'Connor. Since we're talking about uh, great uh, musical artists, very popular musical artists, I'm going to, I, going to throw a curveball at you that I did not tell you I was going to throw at you, but I'm going to throw it at you. Two uh, immensely talented um, women artists who are in Chicago recently. Uh, and I have to confess, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I don't know the music of either. So hate on me all you want, but I know who they are. All right. And I could pick them out in a picture. Uh, one is Beyonce and the other is Taylor Swift. And, um, I have to tell you, Romana, as a reader of the newspapers and a follower of the general media in the city of Chicago, I noticed a difference in the reaction uh, to the appearance of Taylor Swift uh, and Beyonce in Chicago. They each had concerts at Soldier Field. I think there were, each of them had two concerts. Each venue was completely sold out. They, they have fanatical fans okay and they poured in they know the lyrics to every song i saw videos from the beyonce concert of women just like singing just every lyric they knew it by heart these are people who just love beyonce i saw the same thing for taylor swift but i'm telling you there was not as big a deal made over Beyonce as there was over Taylor Swift. Chicago, don't get mad at me. I'm just, I, I know what I'm saying is blasphemous. <laughs> Using that word today. Uh, but I do believe, talk about double standards, I do believe that there was less of an official exalting over the presence of Beyonce in Chicago than there was over Taylor Swift. Do, as a reader of the media, mainstream media, etc., follower of the media, do you agree with me on that point? First of all, Ben, I'm the one that told you about that, how I felt. I, I'm the one that texted you. I go, where's the Beyonce love? I mean, with Taylor Swift, 
And I'm not the only one who noticed, either from my paper or any other media organization in this town. Taylor Swift, there was like a story, like freaking every single day. Like, and, and it's like, okay, we had her in the paper twice on the cover. And I was like, okay, Beyonce sold out Soldier Field shows too. I bet if she had a third show, she would sell that out too. And I do, I have to admit, Ben, I do like Beyonce better than Taylor Swift. I do not like Taylor Swift's music at all. I don't get it. I, I'm not even a huge Beyonce fan, but I get her. I get why people like. And come on, give me a break. You know, we always look back and look at the 70s and 80s or 50s and 60s and go, oh, why was this like singer like put on a pedestal and everybody forgot about all these other artists? And obviously nobody has forgotten about Beyonce. But it's just like, you know, we talk about trying to like be diverse in the city in Chicago and have like, you know, cover different things. And I'm not saying Beyonce needed to be on the front page of the Sun-Times or any other paper, but even the Tribune, which like acts like it's above any sort of pop culture phenomenon. It's like that Taylor Swift does on the front page of one day at the Tribune. And Beyonce was, you know, we had a little picture of Beyonce, but I didn't see the same frenzy and same, um, you know, excitement over Beyonce in terms in the media as I did with Taylor Swift. And you cannot tell me that there wasn't the same because you know, Beyonce fans are called the Beehive, and uh, Swift Taylor Swift fans are called Swifties. So they all have like <laughs> these crazy fan followers. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, so what? It you know, like I saw all these stories in the Chicago press, not necessarily the Sun Times, but talking about all these like dumb things that Taylor Swift fans were doing outside the stadium, and and it's like, I'm sure they're doing the same thing outside the Beyonce show, but I guess we don't care. And you know, and I think that I think we ended up like, I think the Sun Times ended up running a picture of Pitchfork on you know another hipster, another hipster stuff, and I'm like, okay, first of all, a lot of a lot of hipsters like Taylor Swift. So I think there's a lot of hipsters in the media. That's my, that's my, we're running the show. And I'm like, Give me, I just thought it was, it was something that I noticed. And I know I pointed it out to you. And I was, when I pointed it out to certain people at the Sun Times, other people agreed with me. And they said, I was thinking the same thing over the weekend. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to you know, point out things that my paper does. And, but I don't think it was just our paper. I think it was every single media outlet in the city of Chicago that, that, that every mainstream or every, like any online publication, any newspaper, radio, like it was all about Taylor Swift. And I felt like the Beyonce coverage was a little lacking or if, even if they didn't, even if they didn't cover it, I, it was the first time I've seen hard news people go crazy over a pop culture phenomenon. I thought. Okay. So I am going to offer a sociological explanation, which again, you are free to vehemently disagree with. So the Taylor Swift visits to Chicago was viewed by the mainstream of Chicago as what? Like a Renaissance moment, a relief because it sort of contrasted with the scene that was also much discussed and highlighted uh, in the newspapers, having when the teenagers had their uh, rampage, I have that word in quotes, in downtown Chicago, and it was like that was viewed as an apop 
apocalyptic moment in the city of Chicago. And there was like this cry, Brandon Johnson, what are you going to do about these rampaging teenagers that are scaring the tourists in the loop? And then there was the one that followed that one. I don't think we talked about it with you on the show. We talked about it a lot on the show. The uh, <laughs> the fall of Lakeview. That was when after the Pride Parade. Oh, I know exactly Lakeview. what you're talking about. No, I, ex- yeah. I know exactly well, what you're talking well, about. Channel 9 News called The Fall of Lakeview. They had a headline, Channel 9 News at noon. Man, that's for baby, scared baby boomers. Be scared boomers. So Taylor Swift, they like viewed that as like a renaissance. It's not rampaging te- teenagers. It's teenagers who stay in hotels. And then there were articles like cranes. We were like in the articles like, will the will hotel occupancy rise? <laughs> will will there be an influx in mo- hotel taxes pouring into the city of Chicago thanks to Taylor Swift? And I'm like. Don't Beyonce fans stay in hotels? I mean, like, they got to stay somewhere. <laughs> I didn't see any articles about Beyonce hotel occupancy connections whatsoever. The closest thing I saw about a business related to Beyonce was that her husband stopped at a, uh, a restaurant on King Drive to get some chicken. That's it. That's the only thing I saw about business and Beyonce. But whereas Taylor Swift is like, whew, economic development for the city of Chicago. We are so lucky. I think they're sending a message there. Mm, I, I, I wonder, well, you know, I have to tell you a, a letter writer, a letter writer put it very uh, bluntly. She, she, I, I guess that's another way to say racist, but um, she basically said, Hmm. So everybody went to the Taylor Swift concert and not a single crime was committed. I wonder why. And, and it, it basically was saying that because she had a mostly white audience, it's like everything went smoothly. And it's like people who kind of compare and contrast um, some of the incidents that involved like Chicago teenagers and the Taylor Swift fans, those are totally different situations. You know what I mean? And we've talked about, um, you know, the underserved communities and, you know, lack of resources for youth in the, um, you know, these communities where, you know, of involving kids who are, you know, in, who are coming downtown and maybe some of the problems have happened. It's a, it's a bigger issue. And then meanwhile, you have Taylor Swift fans, including, you know, the daughters of some of my friends, most of them are not, you know, there are probably under, underprivileged or, you know, kids who are not privileged who are Taylor Swift fans, but everybody that I know is does have privileges who did go to the Taylor Swift show. So it's like, and, and I'm sure Beyonce fans are too, because I know people who went to the Beyonce show. I just thought the coverage to me, and I'm not saying that it needs to be on the front page, but I don't think the Taylor Swift, um, I think the Taylor Swift coverage was overboard. And I think for a lot of people, because the concerts were so close to each other, I think a lot of people who do pay attention to this stuff did feel that there was definitely, um, you know, and then you can't, there's definitely um, very lopsided coverage in terms of two artists who are just as big. And of course, most of us are going to look at the race factor, you know, and to act like, you know, I know Beyonce has been out there longer, but Taylor Swift has been out there since she was a teenager. She's in her early 30s now. So Taylor Swift has been out there for a while. She's been a phenomenon for a while. And I don't know. Personally, I just thought the coverage was totally uneven. I thought 
the Taylor Swift coverage was way overboard. And it's not only because I don't like her necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of artists I don't like and I don't get. And I'm like, okay, they get, you know, they deserve coverage. I'm not saying Taylor Swift, like, we should just ignore that it's happening or ignore that the fact that she has a lot of fans. But I do think there was, like, an over... I, I felt like I was ODing on Taylor Swift news. I mean, I don't really want that much Taylor Swift coverage in my life. And especially someone who follows different arts. I'm like, there's a lot of things that happen in Chicago and nobody knows anything about them. You know what I mean? Like a couple of weeks ago, I, there was, um, on Broadway in Chicago had a, um, Indian production of a movie that was very famous in the sixties. And it was a big hit. Every single Indian person went to these shows and there was no coverage anywhere about these shows. So it's like, yeah, Taylor Swift is probably bigger than, you know, this theater product, you know, production that happened, but it's like, there's some things that get over coverage and I, I'm sorry, like, you know, if Taylor Swift was not a white woman, I, 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 I do wonder like how much coverage she would get. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I had to bring I, it um, out there. No, I, I, like I said, I think, uh, they tied it to, uh, the the issue the contrast between Taylor Swifty fan, Swifties and uh, the rampaging youth I think there was a lot going on there uh, but I'm just curious you know I would really love to see the receipts the uh, hotel motel yes. tax receipt <laughs> yes. here's an investigative story hey Mick Dunkey get on it right now uh, let's take a look at uh, how many people stayed in the hotels and motels of Chicago for Taylor Swift and how many people stayed in the hotels and motels of Chicago uh, for Beyonce and let's throw NASCAR in there okay oh, yeah. let's see how much NASCAR brought in uh, and see who the champ is uh, that's a, there's just a, get, get on that cranes Come on, cranes, get to work. Now, yeah, okay? I think I think people should look into that to see who brought in the most money. Yeah, like right. that would be I mean, pretty interesting. I think they love the Swifty, <laughs> the Swifties. Yeah, uh, they've already they, they've already said that Swift has won that one. I'm like, I don't know. I'd like to see the results. And by the way, I'm not hating on anyone. I don't really know the music of any of these people that we've discussed in today's show. Sinead O'Connor, Madonna. Beyonce, okay, I'm old. All right, ladies and gentlemen, 1979. Let's talk about. Uh, oh yeah, Diana you're you're, you're a big uh, Marilyn McCoo fan, so. You're I like, do love Marilyn McCoo. How'd you know that? Because I remember <laughs> when that. I, I remember when that movie came out. It was really funny because I didn't know she was part of the band. I 